The episode you're about to listen to was released back when the Mere Christians podcast was called The Call to Mastery. Now, if you love Mere Christians, you're still going to love these older episodes because the majority of each conversation focuses on how the gospel influences the work of our guests. With that disclaimer out of the way, please enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody, welcome to The Call to Mastery. I'm Jordan Rayner. Hey, if you're loving this podcast, you are not going to want to miss my next book, Master of One, which you guys all know is going to release on January 21st. You could pre-order the book today, which is kind of weird. I don't really pre-order books. I'll admit that, right? Maybe you don't either. But hey, listen, I'm giving you a great incentive to get your copy early. If you pre-order the book and go to jordanrainer.com right now, you're going to be entered to win a trip for two to Europe. You, the guest of your choice, you guys are going to go on a private tour of La Sagrada Familia, the world's largest church, which I write about, Master of One. I'm going to then meet you in Barcelona, take you guys to dinner, and then you and your friend are going to go by yourselves on a seven-night European cruise on Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. It's going to be an incredible trip through Italy and Spain and France. So go to jordanrainer.com right now to pre-order the book and enter that sweepstakes. Hey, listen, today I'm honored to have on the show a friend of mine named Stefan Kunz. He is a masterful artist known for his signature hand lettering style. This guy's got more than half a million Instagram followers. I'm sure a lot of you already follow this guy. He's done work for some incredible clients like Apple, Coca-Cola, Hillsong, and others. And Stefan and I recently sat down and talked about how he's thought about being open about his faith, even when he's working with non-Christians at clients like Apple and Coca-Cola. We talked about his morning routines that keep him pumping out great work, great art. And we talked about his wildly successful and popular 30 Days of Bible Lettering project, which I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen on Instagram or heard of on Uversion or somewhere else. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with my friend, Stefan Kunz. Stefan, thanks so much for joining me. How are you, man? Thank you. Uh, I'm really good. How are you? I'm good. We've been trading WhatsApp messages for, I don't know, six months trying to get on the phone together. And now we're finally here. It That's took a true. Podcast. We never made it. We've never made it before, but this time face to face on a podcast call always works out. Always works out. Hey, so Stefan, you are the first European that I'm having a conversation with for public consumption here on the podcast. And our listeners know that I am giving away a trip to Europe as a part of the Master of One pre-order sweepstakes. We're giving away a trip to Europe, going to seven-night European cruise, and go tour La Sagrada Familia, Gaudi's world-famous church. So as our first European guest on the podcast, I have to ask, have you been to La Sagrada Familia before? Well, I've only seen it from the outside, never gone inside because it's always crowded. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, you guys have heard me talk about this as we've been promoting the book, but La Sagrada Familia, this incredible church, you probably know Gaudi, right? Gaudi, this very famous architect built some of Barcelona's most famous attractions, but for the last 12 years of his life, dedicated himself to one project, truly a master of one. He built this church and was architecting La Sagrada Familia, which has been under construction for a hundred years, which like boggles my mind. Like even by like European standards, I feel like that's unheard of, right? You guys don't have construction projects that last a hundred years, right, Stefan? No, definitely not. We <laughs> usually our buildings like takes a lot longer to to build than any other places. So, Stefan, for those and I know a lot of our audience here is familiar with your work, right? But for those who don't know who you are, you meet somebody at a cocktail party. How do you describe what you do for a living? <laughs> I usually take it very casual. Like I don't want to give away too much in any conversation. I don't want to show myself who I am like define that of me. So I usually tell people I'm an artist and and the next question I get is kind of like, "Oh, do you can you make a living with that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good." Yeah, it's a pretty good living. So, and you do a lot of different things, right? So, you're doing design work for big brands, you're also doing these online courses where you're teaching other people hand lettering. Mm -hmm. What really yeah. pays the bills? for you? Because that is the question, right? Like, how do artists make a career out of this? You're making a good living doing this. What's paying the bills? 
So it's definitely different things. It's a lot of client work that I do. That's one big portion. The other portion is actually a product that I'm selling. So it's a, uh, a tool that helps people uh, in lettering. It's called like a letter builder and a grid builder. And it's, it's been a fantastic tool to help people draw words easily, draw letters easily. Um, so it becomes really like following a line, like filling out a box, that kind of easy so that anyone can do it and help people make it easier to get more perfect, more consistent, more confident in what they do. I love it. So you describe yourself as an artist, right? But you, you've really doubled down on this niche of artistry of hand lettering. For those people who have no idea what in the world hand lettering is, how would you describe that? How is it different from calligraphy? What in the world is hand lettering? So we have kind of like these three main topics. So it's calligraphy, typography, and hand lettering. So calligraphy is kind of the drawing of a word in the same style, like over, like consistent and over and over again. It's like pressure, sensitivity, it's hand motion and, and muscle memory that's involved, like mastery of the hand and the tool. The second one is typography, which is kind of the, the mastery of the form of a shape of a letter. So any font that you'll use, any type that you'll use for like Arial Helvetica, like these popular Times New Roman, like these are font designers that are typographers. Like they, they set in how like the distance between each letter, how the letter is built, how we can actually familiarize ourselves by making it easier to read. And finally, the hand lettering artist is kind of the guy who's like a little bit loose, draws letters in its favorite way. But for me, the importance is how to show people the beauty of a word, make it interesting to read so that when people see like a sign, an advertisement, a mural or something like even a like it can be a mural in a company's building where it's like you come in and you see the vision of the company, but it's drawn so beautifully. It's not just like a text on a wall, but it's like beautifully, masterfully done. And people like come in and they want to read it. They want to spend time in front of that wall and read through it because it's just beautiful because it's presented nicely. Yeah. And that was a pretty good description of your work. Uh, the, the, the words you're drawing make the, the way you are lettering these words make words come alive in a, in a different way. So I want to come back to this idea of mastery and how you pursued mastery of your craft in a minute. But first, let's talk about I'm really interested in your story. We actually haven't had a chance to really talk about that before. So you're kind of living the artist's dream. You found a way to like earn a good income as an artist and doing that work full time, but you haven't always been doing that. So like talk us through the trajectory of your career and like how you got to be doing the work you're doing today. Yeah, this is basically the talk that I give is really create art, not excuses. And it starts out with, see, I show them, I, I kind of tell them about where I'm at, what I've been able to accomplish. And I see like, it looks all great, but that's not point A to point B. Like it's not a straight line, it's not a straight curve. And I actually, like before that, I was in banking. Before that, I actually started out with like- Wait, time uh, out, time out, time out, time out. We, 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 you, can't, you can't breeze past being a banker. So you were a certified Swiss banker? I was a certified Swiss banker, yes. By the way, that's like a big deal, right? Like, well, I don't if think you need we to like get money that. laundered or something like that. <laughs> I, I'm not offering, and I don't know but. how to do it. But it's a stigma that people think like Swiss bankers know how to launder money, and it's just I just want to make this clear: we don't. But You're right, right, yeah. right, right. So, was that your first job? <laughs> that was actually well, like kind of small jobs here and there. But this is what I did for three and a half years. So, yes, it was my first job. Wow. So most people would look at that and kind of see banking as this like stark contrast to something creative, <laughs> yeah. like being an artist. Did you see those things as fundamentally opposed or did you see banking? Did you approach your work as a banker creatively? Like how did you think about that? Yeah. Interestingly, yes. One of my mentors in the banking, like while I was still learning the job, you always are uh, with a mentor. And he said, you approach everything different than anyone else here. Like you approach task creatively, like you'll think out of the box, you'll think out of something. And I, and I do actually believe that no matter what job you're doing, it's creative. You're solving problems. As soon as you have to solve problems, you are thinking creative. Like even if you're working with cars, like, like security or something like you have to solve problems and you have to make it safe and sound. And so you have to come up with creative solution on how to solve these problems. And that's creativity. 
Hmm. I love that. All right. So your banker, what's next? So, well, the thing that was that before I became a banker, I was enrolled in art school in like a pre-year thing just before you can actually study graphic design or, or any art form. And I wanted to become a graphic designer at that point. But somehow during that art year, our teacher gave us a full week to, to create whatever we wanted. And I thought, this is amazing. Like I have the freedom. I can do whatever I want. I have a whole week, which is usually longer than any other exercise he's given us. And somehow I came back every day um, home and just like feeling exhausted and not creating anything because I was just like blocked overthinking everything, just kind of striving to become this great thing or create this great thing. And it's what was holding me back all this time. And so at the end of that week, I really felt like I didn't have what it takes. So I did what every failed artist does. Again, I went into banking. <laughs> I love it. So you're in banking, but what were the steps to getting to doing the work you're, do you're doing now? Did you just start taking on freelance work on the side? Like, how did that work? So like I said, like I, I still was I liked being creative. I was creative. Um, I loved drawing. I loved, I needed a, a creative output and that was kind of instilled in me and just that was natural to me. So during my years in, in banking, like I worked in a, or I helped out in a church, I built up a creative team and got like a lot of leadership in that area. But since I was leading the creatives, I didn't want to step into it and like do those jobs myself. Like I could have easily done it, maybe even everything better than everyone else. But at the same time, I knew like to to help them get forward, to help them be the best they can be, I needed to step back and I still needed an, a creative outlet. So I started this thing on Instagram and back in 2012, I saw like on my Instagram account, I saw no beauty in it. And so I had to, I felt like I needed to either do it right or not do it at all. And so from that point on, I changed it and I, I went in and I started like doing these text like photos with text and at the beginning it was really simple and basic and boring and then it became this thing that you can see now which has 500,000 followers <laughs> that's Close uh, it, yeah. that's a that's a pretty wild trajectory from just 2012 all right so you have 500,000 or so instagram followers you built up this massive following of people who love your work i remember I think I stumbled across you when I was building up an Instagram following around called to create and I loved your work. I, I was obsessed with it from day one. So you're unequivocally a masterful artist, right? You have figured out how to pursue mastery of this craft and in particular, this you know particular style. What do masterful artists like yourself do that less masterful artists don't do, right? Like how did you... And how do you, I don't think mastery, as I mentioned, a master of one, I don't think mastery is a destination. It's something that we're always continually striving for. How do you practically pursue mastery of your craft? It's interesting because you would think that you have like this set goal, you're going into one direction, you're feeling like this is what I want to reach. I've never had that with this part. Like I've never actually thought I would become a lettering artist. And for me, this whole journey was always a one step at a time thing. So I, I never knew which direction I went, but I, I knew kind of like I, I always had it to add one more step. And I describe my creative process in four steps, like the first one being inspiration, like get inspiration, find something that you really love, and then two, copy and learn from it, uh, creating something. And three, create something from what you've learned and what you've been inspired by. Because if you just have those two first steps, then you're not actually advancing anything or you're not like you're just consuming, but you're not putting out anything. And then the last step and the last step is probably important. And it doesn't matter in any era you are, but like always take one more step, like always improve, always try something new and always take like one more step. And that one more step is so important because if you multiply those steps into like 10, 20, 40 steps, like every time, then you get into a burnout where you just like perfectionism and, and it will like hold you back. But if you just take one more step, you always get further to your destination. And, and that's why I'm at where I'm at after like years and years. I feel like 2014 was kind of when, when it started. 2017 was when it really took off. And now it's 2019. And I feel like I've taken like thousands and thousands of steps. And that's why I'm at where I'm at. I've, feel like because it's always like one more step and I always have this urge in me to always improve something or always keep trying out something new and this one more step is always it can be a killer because like when you're doing a mural on a wall you're like it's something final and if you're trying like one more step on this mural like 
hmm, what if I try this like that? Like, what if I, I use the, the splash and I, I do something like this? And then suddenly you realize like, oops, that was one step too far. But you've learned something. You've learned more from your mistakes than you learn actually from your successes. Yeah, no, that's really good. And it reminds me a lot of what I wrote about in chapter eight of Master of One, right? So book's not out yet, but as you guys are hearing more about it, chapter eight is all about how do we become world-class masters of our craft, right? And Dr. Anders Ericsson from my alma mater, Florida State, talks a lot about purposeful practice, right? So it's not just 10,000 hours of practice that makes us masterful. It's purposeful practice, right? And one of the elements of purposeful practice is masters always raise the bar. Or in your vernacular, masters always take one more step, right? So we're never content. We're never satisfied. We're always raising the bar to get better and better at our craft. So, hey, Stefan, speaking of the book, thank you for endorsing it. You were very, very kind to endorse the book. Your name is right there in the front of the book that's about to be shipped out in a few weeks. So for those of those people that are listening that haven't had a chance to read the book yet, you got an advanced copy way, way, way in advance. How would you describe the book to them? For me, it was like reading through it and it was an easy read. I, I think I, I told you like I read it in like two, three days like a couple of hours and, and like straight through it because it's, it's an easy read. It's, it has a great flow in it. And the best part is like, I actually want to read in more days because the great thing about that book, and I'm going to read it again, is the motivation I had afterwards. Like, yes, actually I want to double down. I want to, I want to give my best. I want to, to be, become the best that I can be, um, become the, the best in the field if I can, whatever God allows me to do as well. But the book is, is so great because it tells stories of other people who have done their best, who have tried to, to be excellent at whatever they do. And so that is what is so motivating and encouraging for myself and inspired me to, to actually like go back. I've got this new office now here and coming back every morning and like trying to, to, to sit down to actually start drawing and again, purposefully work on, on my craft, on, on expanding it because I know that the better I can be, the better I can represent who, who God is and get the opportunities to, to speak in front of people, to, to share the story. And, and that's kind of what it's all about. I love that. I love that so much. So I think a lot of people are going to pick up this book and realize that they haven't found their quote unquote one thing yet, like the thing that they are going to really sink their teeth into and be a world-class master at. But I think Maybe the same number of people will have the experience that you had, right? They'll pick up the book, they'll read it, and they'll realize, hang on a second, I am doing the work that God created me to do. And my prayer is that the book will motivate them to double down, as you say, on that one thing and show them a path to becoming more masterful at it, right? So I, my prayer isn't that everybody would read this book and change their vocation, right? I, my, my prayer is that people will, will, will pick up the book, will understand the concepts, and will just commit to mastery of something. And that very well could be the thing that they're doing today. So when I sent you the book, we were exchanging some messages on WhatsApp. By the way, you're literally the only person on earth that I communicate with on WhatsApp. <laughs> Stefan, my my one European friend, but I love it. I know if I have a notification, it's from Stefan. So Stefan, you mentioned something a couple of minutes ago that I thought was really interesting. When you were at the bank, you had a mentor and you said you always have a mentor at the bank. And as you know, in Master of One, I talk a lot about the value of apprenticeships, right? A, a word that, frankly, most Americans like don't use anymore. Is this concept of like the mentor-protege relationship more common in Europe or is that like specific to banking? No, it's it's pretty common. So anywhere you uh, would learn any profession, anywhere where you don't study your profession, it's apprenticeship. So usually in Switzerland, any job you learn in three years, like if you want to work on on a um, insurance, you'll have like this apprenticeship, like three days on the job, two days at school where you just learn all the basics. And during those three days where you're on the job, you have someone who will take care of you, like who will answer your questions, who is responsible for teaching you what you need to know on the job. And so that's kind of the mentorship person. They'll give you like feedback. They'll give you like a grade at the end of the, the apprenticeship. Like it's all, usually it's between six months where you spend like in one team. If you're a graphic designer, you'll spend like three years at the, on the same job. So that's kind of the, how it works here in Switzerland. Yeah. So here in the States, right, we would call that 
an internship, essentially, right? It sounds like a pretty similar concept, although it sounds like it's more structured and formal in Europe, which I like. So in the book, I talk about this value of, you know, I think there's two forms of apprenticeship, if you will, right? Like one is this like direct apprenticeship, which is what you had at the bank. You have somebody who you're reporting to who's giving you very specific and personal feedback on your performance. And then there's this concept of indirect apprenticeships, right? We can't find the right mentor. So we submit ourselves to the wisdom of, you know, masters via books or online courses, et cetera. Do you find that that direct apprenticeship is more valuable than an indirect apprenticeship? And if so, why? For me, it hasn't been the best approach. I kind of wish always to have someone to to share about, but in most cases, I've always learned more by myself. Like whatever I wanted to learn, I've learned on my own. Yeah. So we've talked about kind of your path to mastering your one thing. I'm like really fascinated by people's routines and their habits and kind of the things that they swear by that make them super productive. So let's start here. Can, can you talk about what a typical workday looks like for you? Like walk us through from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. What does your day look like? A typical day and it looks more now that I have one than I had before. So it's it's getting up at 7 a.m., have my coffee machine set up to, to turn on just before that I, I up and I'll go, I'll make a coffee, um, love latte art. So before I even started with lettering, I did latte art and like t- taught myself how to do it in over four months. And so that's a, a skill that I wanted to master. And then I usually will read the Bible. Right now I'm, I'm going through Romans 12, like trying to read that same chapter over and over again. And as soon as I'm done with that, I'll I'll shower. I'll um well I'll pray. I'll shower, and then just get ready and go out the house right into next door to to the next building into my office. And now I've set it up that I will start drawing. And I I read the book Atomic Habits, and just interesting to see that places where you sit, where you are, like these connect to a different pattern. So I've set it up that I have a desk right behind me, um where I sit down and I only draw on this desk. And so the first thing that I'm going to do in the morning is draw and make it a daily habit of drawing, of, of practicing my drawing and, and just put out something, like create something before I actually start the day. And as soon as I get done with that, I usually went, go into like emails, um, administ- administrative work. And then in the afternoon, either my assistant will come in or like every other day and I'll have like either work with her or for her. And then finally, like either draw some more, finish some some work that I have uh, lined up, and then in the evening, go out for dinner, do some some exercise. Like right now I'm training for a half marathon. So it's a challenge to to kind of like get ready for that. The The run is in one and a half weeks or so. So wow. Yeah, it's 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 time, but it's also like I've been learning so much from from running again. Like I've I've trained once before for for one, but this time it's it's just getting back into this routine of doing long runs, of of spending a lot of time just with your thoughts and training your mind to actually overcome a lot of obstacles is a really good effective tool to also learn that into your job to sit down, be able to work deep and hard and finish that. And then in the evening, either I go back to work, finish some, some things up, or I'll go home or meet some friends in the evening. How much sleep do you get? I try really hard to go to bed before midnight. Around six, seven hours is at the moment the the, the usual. I, I wear a Fitbit tracker just so I know the actual number of uh, of sleep that I get. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I actually got a Fitbit for a different reason. It's actually like one of my favorite little hacks. My audience may be laughing because maybe you guys all already do this, but I wear a Fitbit. I only wear it to bed so that it can wake me up silently so I don't wake up my wife because I, I I get up, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like been a great little hack that my wife greatly appreciates, especially when I was getting up at 430 in the morning. My, my, my alarm used to go off and that was that was not a good that was not a good time. So you talk about you mentioned a habit that I personally have adopted and I think pretty much every like really high achiever I know has adopted, which is this first thing in the day, not checking email and sitting down and doing deep work. But when you get to the office, the first thing you're doing is sitting down and drawing, right? How, how long How long do you draw for that first block? 
Uh, it really depends on on how it's going. Like I usually try to finish something, so I, I won't actually get up before I've finished my my first piece, and that can be an hour. If I do something longer, like it, it happened that it just goes till noon, but it rarely goes after noon. So four hours maybe max, and one to two hours definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. So you also mentioned something like I don't do well at all. But I've been thinking more and more about like you have personal goals, right? Like that that aren't productive. Like you wanted to learn how to make latte art, right? Or you wanted to run a half marathon. Like, have you always been like that? Like, do you have, I mean, I'm assuming you have very concrete, like professional goals. Do you also have these like personal goals on a pretty regular basis that you want to, you want to tackle? I, I try to think of something as I, I start doing these, these goals, um, weirdly enough, I set them during, like, strangely during the year, like last year was achieving a gold status on, on star alliance, uh, getting a frequent flyer status. That was a good goal to reach. Then this year it's like, all right, I want to visit three new countries that I've never visited before. Like, uh, like every year reach, like, uh, visit three new countries. So this year I've already done that. And I kind of like try to, to have these goals, but very loose like it's not like oh i want to achieve this i want to achieve this yeah, yeah and right now one of the the goals that i'm trying to set and and it's it's like it takes some time because i know that when i commit to a goal i want to do it and i'll do pretty much everything like a challenge if i accept a challenge i'll be relentless in making it happen my my assistant will tell you a story about that we we did a step challenge like during a work week and we were just both crazy i didn't know that she was also so competitive as i am but she was really doubling down and like for the last half hour like the last half hour of those 5 days like i had to go run just before midnight even though i already had done a long run during the day just to get ahead of her and be easy at night like i went for another run just before midnight and i just won by a thousand steps and we had like over <laughs> eighty-six thousand steps it's it's a bit insane that's absurd one of the long goals that i'm i'm trying to think about right now and it's not set in stone yet but it's like doing a marathon on every continent that's kind of like one that i feel like Man. this this is a lifetime achievement <laughs> I love that goal. That's a great goal. I mean, I will not be doing that, but but you do you, and I'm, I'm all about that. That's awesome. So let's talk about your childhood a little bit. So so you grew up as a missionary kid, right? By the way, where where were you? So I was in born in Africa in Benin. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And so you, know, you grew up seeing your parents do this work that we in the church would traditionally call, quote unquote, full-time ministry. Do you see your work today... As ministry well yes and no so yes i would call myself a digital missionary because what my parents did was go to to places where there, there was no access where they actually spread the word and, and share the gospel what i'm doing is on social media is using the word of god and right now i'm running a 30 days of bible letting challenge and and using that to to share about like 30 verses in 30 days every day one and i'm totally behind on on my own schedule right now but when we started out it was kind of really like sharing this sharing my thoughts and i i got a book coming out in october well maybe it's going to be aired by then but it's a book with like 60 verses with thoughts of my like that i've written on instagram and kind of like reformulated rewritten it's it's kind of this thing where it's giving people the inspiration and encouragement for their daily day or like a great coffee table book. And so it's hard because I'm actually running a business. I'm doing like what I do and, and do it really well. But it's funny because nowadays you can marry that together with like full-time ministry as well, even though I wouldn't consider that. But at the same time, I feel like, yes, like truly actually you would consider anyone doing their job well, like in your book described as well. It's like, if you do your job well, if you if you are are representing God in this way, like you're representing God well, like work is worship. Mm. And so yeah. doing that is is actually being in full-time ministry. So no matter what you do, where you place, this is your thing. I could not agree more. And yeah, you know, I think I think we get hung up a lot of times in the church in this idea that 
the only thing that's ministry is sharing the gospel in words with people. And of course, that is ministry. But we also minister to people when we love our neighbor as ourself. You know, that was a, when Jesus told us to love our neighbor as ourself, that was a complete sentence. You love your clients as yourself, you know, some pretty big brands when you do exceptional work. And oh, by the way, you know, I, I use so many projects like 30 Days of Bible Lettering that are discipling people, that are getting people to engage with scripture on a deeper level. And I did want to talk about 30 Days of Bible Lettering. This is super interesting to me. But for those in our audience that have no idea what this is, explain what 30 Days of Bible Lettering is and why you started it. Something that helped me after this thing that I um, was stuck in, like when when our, our teacher gave us this this uh, exercise to do in one week, like I was frustrated that I didn't really come up with anything. And what I do in my talk is talk about like, what changed? Like, how did I go to the bank and then get back into our, uh, art? Was really because I, I took this one challenge and it was the 100 day creative challenge. And this challenge, like it changed everything. And what I've learned, like I've tried to formulate it afterwards, like what did I actually learn from this challenge? And that was like excuses are holding us back. And that's why my talk is called Create Art Not Excuses is because excuses is what is holding us back to create even more things. And after I had finished this 100 day creative challenge, I was like done. I didn't want to touch another challenge anymore for like another month. And then suddenly this urge became <laughs> of like, you know what? Like I did create so many things during this time. I was so productive. I felt great. Like it was a challenge. And for me, I was thinking about doing this, like, like what, what could be the next challenge? I didn't want to embark on another 100-day challenge. Um, so I kind of wanted to make it something easier. And I thought of like 30 days and talked about 30 days Bible lettering challenge, like 30 days of Bible verses, because I knew I needed like, for the next challenge I did, I needed to have something already prepared. Like I couldn't start the challenge without any preparation. And I talked about this in a workshop and I talked to people and then during the Q&A, people asked me like, what's something you're like your next challenge? And I talked about like, I might be doing this challenge and blah, blah, blah. And I like use like light words. And then they asked me, uh, someone else asked me, like, what are you most afraid of? And I told them like, right now, if you heard my, the verse, the words that I used, it was slightly, maybe if possible, if nothing comes in my way, maybe I'll do this. Kind of like I'm talking about the, um, the marathon as well. Yeah. And, and for me, this was so interesting because back then I realized like, you know what, I'm afraid. And at that time, I just committed to that challenge. On the way back from, from that workshop, I reached out to like five friends that I had met on Instagram. And I asked them like, hey, I'm planning on doing this. Do you guys want to help? And they were all like, yes, let's do this. We kind of like compiled uh, 30 Bible verses. And like, I didn't think like I would do this all by myself. So I kind of like sent out on Instagram saying like, I'm going to be doing this Bible lettering challenge starting fresh. Who wants to join? Like, I don't know, maybe two, 10 people will sign up. But then over 500 people like just instantly turned on the first day and they were crazy about this and, and it took off and like, we did like, we are on round eight now and three, four years in. And back then it was just crazy because like the second or third round, I counted in the numbers of how many people do we reach. There was an analytic tool that helped me do this. And it said like over two, three million people per day were being reached with those Bible verses that people were sharing. And so that was just phenomenal for me because I never thought that, you know, something that I would start somewhere in Switzerland, like small city, not big, like I kind of grew, I wasn't as big as my, as I'm now, but like at that point, it was just like something huge and something amazing. And, and what God allowed us to do was like even translate those, like we had a U version Bible reading plan at the same time. Then we had uh, the next round, we had like 13 or 15 different languages translated into this this reading plan that we created. And so, so many people were helping to make this even bigger and helping other people to use this. And it was just, I couldn't believe in myself. And now it's it's still like, it's still a big thing. We all almost have like 200,000 hashtags used on, on this 30 days of Bible lettering hashtag. By the way, just to kind of sum up what 30 days of Bible lettering is for the audience. So this is super simple, right? So Stefan and his friends say, hey, Here's 30 Bible verses over the next 30 days, letter each one of them, right? So draw this beautiful hand lettering artwork and post on Instagram. I mean, that's that's the whole thing, yeah, right? Step that on, I mean, it's it. that simple, right? So you being a master of your craft, 
right, had this massive audience, right? You get this idea of, hey, I'm going to letter these verses. Does anyone want to join me? All these people share. And now they're sharing scripture in their Instagram feeds with all of their followers and are reaching millions and millions of people, all because you had credibility as a masterful artist on your platform. So anybody who says that mastering our work doesn't matter eternally is crazy. What awesome, awesome story. So follow-up question for you personally, what do you get out of scripture? How is your interaction with scripture different when you're taking the time to letter a particular verse, when you're taking, I don't know, an hour, 90 minutes to draw out a verse as opposed to just, you know, reading it uh, in scripture. How, do, how does your interaction with the scripture and the Lord differ in those two scenarios? There are definitely two things. So one is you spend so much time on a verse. You spend time on every word. You think about like, how should people read it? Like what's important? What is like, what word do I want to scale up? What word do I want to make smaller? What, how can I improve the reading flow? What words are not necessarily important for the reader to see at first sight? And kind of how can I draw out the message of the verse? And so there are so many things that go into planning and writing and drawing something more than just it needs to look nice. It needs to be like readable, um, legible, and and it needs to be give the right impression at right at the start. Like, do not be anxious. Like, don't put the weight on anxious, even though it's an important word. But it's like this: do not be anxious. Like, the, all these words are important, but there are some different verses that have this other feeling. The time you spend on each single word helps you kind of to take time to think about what do these words represent, what do they mean, and you kind of linger longer on on every single word. It's like slowing down Bible reading to uh, hundreds of, of what you'd spend time on. So that already like helps you to think about it more, to, to yeah, meditate really hard on it. But then after a while also, and I'm just also completely honest, you turn off and you switch off and you just go into drawing mode and you just draw. But the second part is when I post it on Instagram and I rarely just post it with, hey, this is the Bible verse, here's the where it's, where it's at. But I usually will think of a story or try to think of a, a story to, to connect to that, to that verse, share about my personal life, share about fears or things that people could, could help. And I try to really connect with the people. And I, I know like a lot of my folks that follow me, they, they're not Christians. So the goal is also to, to kind of translate the Bible verse into something that they can understand, that they can take with them, that can encourage them. Because I know that any verse, like that's why I start actually drawing verses in the first place was because I was thinking, you know, I know that words are have a big impact and I want to make sure that whatever I write isn't just something loose or something unimportant, like not all those who wander are lost is like one of the famous quotes that nobody knows exactly what this means or what like what do I gain from knowing that quote? Nothing. So <laughs> so that's why like Bible verses are are something that I feel like you know, this is the only thing that I know is true that will hold the test of time and will always like bring life. And so I've had to 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 make a big decision before I actually really quit my job and and started like dabbling into doing more professionally. Like a friend of mine, he said, and he was a Christian as well, but he with good intentions told me, you know what, you should think about taking off all your Bible verses because you won't probably get any jobs from big companies. You have a religious thing on your thing, on, on your feed. This is not going to work with big companies because their image is shouldn't be connected to anything religious. And at that time, I honestly took the thought and I thought about, should I do it or should I not do it? And I got bullied in school before. And, and so going through that thing was for me, like I got bullied because I was a Christian, because I was a missionary and, and maybe some other things. But it always came down to like, oh, you're Swiss. No, I'm German. But you were born in Switzerland. No, I was born in Africa. And ah, so why were you born in Africa? My parents are missionaries. And I didn't compromise back then because I felt like, you know what, I'm not going to compromise on who I am, on my identity. I'm not going to just evade the question. And so I wasn't willing to do it back then or now as well with the verses. And I decided to not compromise on sharing those verses because I felt like, you know what, if people don't want to hire me because I'm Christian, they shouldn't hire me. But I don't want to get jobs because I compromise on 
not showing that I'm a Christian. And now that I get to, to go into these client meetings or to, to talk to these clients, they know that I'm Christian. They know that uh, they know the full well that I like. I share Christian values. Like I'll have a an ad for for a gin brand the next day, and then the day after I'll have a Bible verse on it. And people like Christian will only Christian will come back and ask actually ask me like, how can you deal with doing advertising for uh, an alcohol brand? Like that's not mm. fair. That's another story. But it's interesting to see that even though I've not compromised, God has actually given me more opportunities, and I probably would have ever dreamed of or would ever thought possible to have. Like I got to have a a billboard on Times Square with my name on it that people could actually look up on, on, on my Instagram. And man, what greater possibility could you have than that? That's incredible. Yeah, this is so fascinating to me. Because you are a master of your craft, first and foremost, because you are primarily focused on the ministry of excellence, right? You're getting these incredible client gigs. I mean, you've done work for Apple and Coca-Cola. Like it doesn't really get bigger than some of these brands, right? And as somebody who's hired a lot of contract work, as somebody who's run companies that aren't overtly evangelical, I get it. What do I care if you're a Christian? All I care about in that role as CEO or director of marketing, whoever's hiring you is finding the best artist, right? And so you're the best artist. And man, that gives you such influence uh, to be able to just be salt and light inside of some of the biggest companies in the world. Uh, so man, just I just want to encourage you, right? That the, your work is tremendously important. Uh, all the work you're doing, whether you're posting Bible verses or doing, you know, work for Tag. I saw you did this cool pro- project for Tag in Manhattan. The super cool. All of that uh, is important. So hey, this is something I think a lot about. I want to get your take on it. I think all artists, whether they're designers or authors or entrepreneurs or artists, I know I felt this before, right? Like, I think we have this like deep desire to see our work outlive us, right? Like somebody was asking me yesterday, like, why do you think we're so obsessed with books? I'm like, I think because it's one of the products that like really never goes away. And we're like obsessed with this idea of immortality, frankly, right? So Assuming you have that same hope, you've got the same hope to see your work live on beyond you. What's the legacy you want your work to leave? Like, what do you hope the people gain from interacting with your work? That's a good question. Right now, it's, I think I'm too young right now to think of legacy. Like, I've grown up with the Instagram age where everything is like immediate and, and instant and, and it goes up and it goes down like right away. Like, it will be buried down in your feet somewhere along. Like those pieces don't live forever. They they are just there for the moment, and for the 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 second that they're up. It's definitely a thought that I've been thinking about more. Like what is something like what can I create that will will be around for longer? That will be made for 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 an eternity. And so that's why I, f- I feel like what will go through eternity or longer, longer than I'm around is like me using the quotes, create something today, even if it sucks, encouraging and inspiring people that people will remember more of the inspiration and the encouragement. Like if you've done the Enneagram challenge, like I'm, I'm an eight, I'm a challenger and I will always like challenge other people, like try to get the best out of them. And so for me, art right now is more of a way to communicate a message that I have and that I feel like, you know what, the only way I can challenge other people is by writing something on Instagram, by drawing it out. And it's funny because a friend of mine, she she said like, your art is only a way to to actually communicate that message. Just like for her photography, she's a photographer. She she used photography to to express herself, but it's not the medium that is important. It's more the message that is and so that's why talking of longevity of eternity is like it's definitely going to be more the the message than the the art. Yeah, interesting. All right, so three final questions I like to ask everyone who joins me for one of these conversations. First, other than the Bible, what one book has most impacted your life? An impossible question, by the way. I don't think I could answer this, but one book that's impacted your life the Have most. Have you ever heard that Tim Ferriss said like never ask that question? <laughs> no, I haven't. That's really funny. 
the, the reason why he, he said, and I read the, the reason why it's hard to ask that question is because it's harder to think about that than to say, like, what are three books that you have gifted the most? Like, make it easy so people can, That's can a good answer question. fast because they'll know what they've gifted the most. That's a great question. All right, so which books have you gifted the, the most? Bible. Uh, <laughs> wrong, <laughs> wrong answer. I've actually all given all my books away, and one that I've loved to, to give others to give is, like, one of the two books that Bob Goff has made, like Love Does and the other one. Uh, Everybody Always. Everybody Always. I think Everybody Always is probably the best book to get to give away to a friend because it has so many great stories of loving other people and and like it's not it's not Christiany or or something it's like stories of of him and he's just a phenomenal guy. Donald Miller's Story Brand book is amazing. It's it changes the way you think about like like using stories to communicate a message of your brand. And third book yeah, I got into the habit of reading at the early beginning of this year. Third book. You recommended that book to me. That was Excellent Wins by Horst Schultz. Yeah, yeah great book. Great An book. Amazing book. I read it in one day. Did you really? I really did. Saturday, I sat down and I read it. And I'm like, I'm fascinated by how he built this company. Absolutely amazing. And and the way, like, I tell everyone, like, I've, I've been now in a hotel. I've, I've flown. I just got back. I, I had a great deal on the first class flight from for, to, to Bogota. And I kind of like realized like what excellence in the the hospitality industry means and how they deal with it. Like in my hotel room, like it was great. I had a projector in the room, but there was no way to connect it because the person who was there before me, he stole the, uh, the Chromecast. Oh no. And how the hotel dealt with it, they were like, we don't care. Like I told them the morning, they were like going away, like, yeah, cool, it's too bad for you. The person before stole it. And I'm like, I, I kind of want it. And finally, like had to wait 40 minutes. And in, in a risk, Alton, even though like, yes, the level is a lot higher, but think about like not giving your uh, staff 2000 bucks to to use on, on expenses, but like 50 bucks. They could have bought a Chromecast in 10 minutes if they had the allowance for that, but they didn't. I had a bad experience. And so, yeah, not going back there. I love Horst. You got to go and listen to the podcast episode that we produced with Horst. Oh, it, was a, it was a really great conversation. All right. Second question. What one person would you most like to hear talk about the intersection of their faith and their work on this podcast? Kind of would be interested in actually hearing Justin Bieber in five years. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Justin Bieber in five years. All right. So we'll put a pin in that and come back to Justin in five years. That's a great idea. Why do you say five years though? I feel he's at the beginning of his journey of being a Christian. And it's so hard in that industry to to actually do anything. Like Chance the Rapper is is phenomenal in how he does things. Like I just saw that he was on the Ellen show and he just like said, like, you know what, I'm a faith believer. Like they talked about like him giving away one million dollars to to two things. And he just said, like, you know what? Faith has always been a big thing. Like it's my faith in Jesus. And like totally open in, in that conversation. And and so that was interesting. But I feel like for Justin being one of the biggest, still like top trending artists on, on Spotify and any other medium, to actually allow God to impact his songs and his music impacting. And not that he has to change everything around, but like how he will will use that and how he will deal with things. And I feel like he's already done an amazing transformation. And I'm so impressed by that. Always cheering for, for that. And I'm just curious how, how yeah, how it's going to affect him and transforming him. And the same way with like Selena Gomez or the Jonas Brothers. I, I was impressed. I saw the documentary on the Jonas Brothers. Same thing. Pretty interesting. Yeah, that would be that'd be an interesting conversation for sure. All right, last question. What one piece of advice would you give to somebody who is pursuing mastery of their one thing, right? So you're you're pursuing mastery of your craft as an artist. What one piece of advice would you give to somebody else who's pursuing mastery of their vocation? Don't let excuses get in your way. I really define it on six different excuses that we use all the time. It's perfection, it's time, it's uh, our skills. Like we don't have enough skills. We don't have enough time. We don't have, we cannot be perfect enough. Like we cannot manage to make it perfect. Like our ideas are not original. We don't have the right resources. There's always going to be an excuse that it's going to stand in our way. 
an everyday, like if it becomes a habit to allow these excuses, like people say they're not creative, but they come up with creative excuses of not to do anything. <laughs> so that's why I tell people like create art, not excuses, like create something and it doesn't have to be perfect. But this one thing is all about coming up with one more piece, creating one more piece. And it's, it's not this one piece, like I feel like Gaudi was was right to do that at the end of his life to to create this 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 church, but he created so many other pieces all during his life, and he couldn't have done the last piece. And the question is, like, will your work be ever perfect? I don't think so. But the more you do, the more you put out. Um, they've tested this all along. Like, if you take 100 photographs, like a, a teacher told like students, like. 100 photographs or just one photograph, the teacher who, or the, the, the students who took 100 were better photographers, like their work was better than the, just the, the class, the students who did just one photo. So no excuses. I love that. Hey, Stefan, I know I said it a few minutes ago, but I just want to commend you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for revealing the character of our exceptional creative God. Thank you for loving your 500,000 neighbors well through creating beautiful art and helping people see beauty in art and also in God's word. Man, just thank you for loving your clients well. Thank you for loving these people, Apple and Coca-Cola and Tag and all of these big brands really well by doing really great work. Your work matters. It is eternally significant. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for our friendship. Hey, if you want to learn more about Stefan, this truly world-class, masterful artist, you can find out about him, the 30 Days of Bible Lettering Challenge, and his new book at stefankunz.com. That's S-T-E-F-A-N-K-U-N-Z.com. Stefan, thanks so much for hanging out with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, before you go, I got one more shorter conversation for you that you're not going to want to miss. I recently sat down with the author of a book that I've added to my personal reading list. The author's name is Andy Kolber. The book is called Try Softer. Kind of an interesting take. So heading into 2020, this idea of, you know, stop trying to do things harder, try softer. And it's kind of a, a different approach to anxiety and stress and constantly being in survival mode. The book actually just released yesterday. I had an opportunity to get my hands on an advanced copy that I've started reading and have really been enjoying. So I sat down with Andy to ask her just a few questions about the book. Here's my conversation with Andy Colbert. Andy, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so we're recording this in September, but people are hearing this conversation right after the new year. And I wanted to make sure that this audience for this podcast of high achieving Christian professionals hear this, right? I think there's a lot of mm. wisdom in your book. I know I'm very excited to read <laughs> Try Softer. I think it's such a countercultural message. So let's start here. What's this book about? Yeah, there's so many things I could say, but I think the underlying heart of it is that trying softer is really about changing our posture towards pain. Mm. Instead of the cultural norm of just trying harder or pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, I'm really encouraging folks to do something a little bit different, which is to try softer with hard things. The heart of it is about paying compassionate attention to our experience in our bodies and allowing that to influence what we do next. You know, so many of us have been taught to really white knuckle ourselves like through pain and through hard. And I use white knuckle really intentionally because what I'm saying there is I'm trying to delineate this from hard work. There's value. Like I really, especially it sounds like for your listeners, you know, folks might be thinking, oh my gosh, who's this woman? You know, what does she know about my life? And I totally get it partly because that was me and that's been me. That's been my journey. I am a survivor of trauma. And part of the way that I learned to cope with hard things is really by saying like, well, then I'll just be the best. <laughs> like, I don't mean that in, a, in an arrogant way, but to essentially say, no matter how much pain I'm in, no matter what's going on with me, like, it doesn't matter. I'm going to minimize it. I'm going to numb it. I'm going to push it down. Because what matters is that, that I look okay on the outside. 
And so for me as a therapist, what I've come to learn is that that is just brutal on our bodies. Mm. It's brutal on our souls. And we just pay such a high price. Um, and the thing is, is that it's such a paradox because we live in a culture in which it's praised. And oftentimes in our families, like especially if we grew up in a certain type of a family, um, that might be really praised. Like, look how selfless you are. Look at what a high achiever you are. And so we get this idea that that's what is required to be loved. And really, I believe God invites us into such a different way that, you know, Jesus came in a body, lived in a body and showed us what it meant to be truly human. And that included emotions and experiences and connection with self and others. And so Trisofter is really leaning in to that message. So what does Trisofter look like? So I really like to, uh, you know, use the, uh, that synonymously with compassionate attention because that is really the key to unlock what that looks like in every person's life individually. Because I think of this like less of, hey, here's your five steps to trying softer. And it's a little bit more like, I'm going to teach you to fish. <laughs> so now you can go and you can catch the food that you need to live. And so compassionate attention requires awareness of self and others. And that allows us then to say, like a great example might be for me as a person who's had to come a long way in really connecting to my own internal experiences, I've had to learn to recognize when I'm at my, my limits. And when I'm at my limits, my body is giving me information like I'm irritable and I'm exhausted and I have no patience for my kids and my heart is beating 100 miles per hour. If I can have some compassion for my own experience, I can say, whoa, <laughs> like maybe I actually need to say no to the thing I have tonight because yeah. even though that matters and I've given my word, Right now, I'm like on the edge of my sanity. Mm. <laughs> and my sanity matters more than meeting an external requirement. Yeah. So like uh, in that example, that, that might be trying softer. I think that's a big struggle for a lot of us. So who's this book for, Andy? Oh, how much time do we have? No, just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think that this book is really for anyone who's found themselves trying harder in a lots of different situations and finding it's not working. And so oftentimes this lines up with folks who are struggling with anxiety, depression, and lots of ambiguous types of pain. I talk a lot about, I come from what's called a trauma-informed perspective. And what I mean by that is just having a holistic view of our bodies, mm. that our experiences are accumulated in our body. And when we have unaddressed pain, those influence us in the here and now. And our nervous system is constantly responding to the information that we're experiencing. And when we ignore that, we often find ourselves really, really stuck. And so I would say that this book is for folks who are like, I am stuck. <laughs> like, like hard work actually isn't helpful right now. Like it's not getting me where I need to go. Hmm. So for our audience of Christians who care deeply about their faith, but also care hmm. deeply about their work and, and working hard, right? To do good work, not necessarily for their own fame and fortune, but for the glory of God and the good of others. What are they going to take away from this book? Yeah, I love this question. I was thinking about this quote from, and you might've heard it from St. Arrhenius. Um, and it's like the glory of God is man fully alive. And as I've written Trisofter, this has been a really important idea for me that there's a sense in which becoming who God has called us to be, like with, you know, just all the parts of that we carry the Imago Dei, that um, we're sort of unwrapping our truest identity mm. is a way that we glorify God. And one of the really fascinating ideas is that from especially like a neuroscience perspective, and there's a lot of faith integration, when we are connected to our own internal experience, we actually have really the capacity to empathize and connect with others. 
And to the extent that we're cut off from our own internal experience, we actually are cut off from the ability to empathize with others. So from a faith perspective, it's like, wow, how do we love our neighbor as ourself? If we honestly don't know what's going on, or even if we can't have compassion for our own pain. And so Trisofter is really an invitation to not just observe ourselves, but to observe ourselves with the compassion that God, I believe, already feels towards us. God is so compassionate and good that if we can sort of steward that to our own experience, wow, like what would that be like if we're really embodying the kindness of the God who made us? I love that. Well, Andy, I'm very much looking forward to getting my hands on the book. The description (laughs) itself was enough to add it to my reading list. So thanks for taking a few minutes to chat with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Again, the book is Try Softer. It released yesterday. You guys can go pick up a copy wherever books are sold. Hey, that's it for today's episode of The Call to Mastery. Remember, you can go pick up Master of One right now at jordanrainer.com and enter to win this incredible trip to Europe for you and a friend. Thanks for listening to The Call to Mastery. I'll see you guys next week.